Thanks very much for joining us on another episode of the OHL podcast, or as some like to call it now, the content creator for the London Free Press. I don't know, but however (laughs) you like to consume this content and why it is you consume it, we appreciate it. My name is Mike Farwell. You'll find me on X or Twitter at Farwell underscore OHL. That guy right there is Dan Mahar. He is at his name, at Dan Mahar on X and Twitter. And if you haven't figured it out yet, Mahar, like Rick, a former NHL captain, you can put these two together. And if you can't spell Dan, I can't. I'll, sp- I'll spot you the D and the N. All right. Uh, Dansky, let's start <laughs> with Zane Parekh of the Saginaw Spirit and ask the question that many are asking. Did the Ontario Hockey League make a bit of an exception when it came to doling out supplemental discipline? Yeah, I, I think it was a little curious. Uh, obviously, Zane Prex scheduled to play in the CHL Top Prospects game later in the week. So the suspension announced the day after that contest because standing as suspensions would apply to those CHL events, uh, one would assume. Beats the league standard this year where they have been handing out suspensions pretty instantaneously within a day or two of, of the incident. So looked a little uh the optics i think were a little curious basically saying well you know whatever incident was was suspendable but not not suspendable enough to take you out of this this game and and you know maybe be, because of the uh, nature of the incident heavily influenced by nhl teams uh, that it was something where they uh, ohl didn't feel they really had the grounds to to trump that but just a little curious don't you think i think you're absolutely right and i'll add another layer that concerns me a little bit because you talked about how good a job the league has been doing in this department this year and we've talked about it a lot on the podcast i i think the uh the office of ohl discipline is doing a terrific job they're not only reviewing things quickly after the fact and sometimes overturning what might have been called differently in the heat of the moment the night before right it seems to be working on weekends which they've long been criticized for not doing all of these things being consistent being quick with decisions This stems from a game on January the 21st between the Kingston Frontenacs and the Saginaw Spirit. And Paul Ledwinski of Kingston had his suspension announced before the top prospects game. Of course, Ledwinski wasn't going to appear in said game, but that's what makes it even more curious and then by extension concerning to me because it does smack of special treatment. And look, we all know that Zane Parekh is a special hockey player. But if we're going to continue to acknowledge the Ontario Hockey League for its consistency in supplemental discipline and the speed with which it's been handing it out this season, I think we have to call it on what looks a little bit questionable here. And I guess I might add to that then, Dan, as a sad reminder of what this is all about, right? We can talk all we want about developing players, developing young men, developing coaches, developing officials, the Ontario Hockey League being, or the Canadian Hockey League being the best development league in the world. We can talk about all of those things, but when it comes right down to it, how many feathers do you put in your cap for every single player that goes from this league to the National Hockey League, especially if they go in the first round, which Zane Perek will certainly do in June? Yeah, and I mean, you could give the benefit of the doubt and say that by all accounts, this was a spitting incident. Maybe it took longer to get witness accounts, et cetera, et cetera. Or you could be realistic and say there was heavy pressure from the NHL to say, you know, this player is going to go in the top 10. 
He's a must-have. We've marketed the game based on a handful of players of which he's won. He's got to be there. Uh, OHL, delay this announcement, please. So I, I think that's obviously what happened, but it does speak to, this isn't specific to Zane Parekh, uh, uh, but to your point, Mike, it's specific to special treatment based on athletes being good at their sport. And I think it it can be a slippery slope. This may be a somewhat minor one, but it, it does it does open that discussion, right? For what are we after here? Are we after creating good humans who are good at hockey or do we not really care about the rest of it? And it's just, are they good at hockey? Yeah, and that's on my mind this week too. And it may be on the minds, well, I know the case is on the minds of others, of course, as we've had the first of five players who had been playing professional hockey turning themselves into police in London, Ontario to answer on charges of what's alleged to have been a gang sex assault in 2018 following the World Junior Hockey Championships. It's not taking rocket science to figure out which players will follow in the footsteps of the first player who happens to be a former Ontario Hockey Leaguer, but we'll just leave that right there. And and I want to be careful here to not try to pass myself off in any way as an expert, but I think most of us agree that there is a problem with the culture of the game of hockey. We have seen it play out in myriad ways, perhaps the the grossest of those ways and that sense of entitlement comes connected to a story the likes of which we're hearing with these former team Canada players and what happened in that hotel in London back in 2018 and you called it a slippery slope it's a little thing certainly compared to this big thing but it's another sign to me that yeah if you're really good at shooting a puck or skating then you know what there's a lot of latitude given to you. And and I just, I think that we need to nip all of these things in the bud. No special treatment just because you're a special player. It's great that you're a special player. We love watching you. You got to be a special human too. Well, not even the special human, just be a human. How about that? Let's, let's do it that way. Yeah. And, and I think with this little piece here, Mike, at least I, I'll speak for myself. I'm speaking directly to the adults in the room. This isn't to absolve any of these players for the actions that they they did uh, related to the hockey candidates or any of these other things we hear about. But I'm speaking to the adults in the room who are the ones that create the dynamic whereby these players feel they can get away with these things. And let's face it, no matter how you slice up this hockey candidate incident, that's what was at the heart of the matter. There were a whole bunch of adults in those rooms in and around those rooms that had made those players up until that point feel like, don't worry about guys. We got your back. Something goes wrong. We'll cover you because a lot of adults tripped all over themselves after that incident to make it go away. The first instinct was protect these hockey players. They're going to be NHLers or they they possibly are going to be NHLers. Should that be the first instinct? And I think that's, what's troubling me and probably you as well, Mike. Yeah. And that's the end of the story that you're kind of getting at there. I love what you bring up that there were too many adults, frankly, tripping over themselves to offer some level of protection. And I'm not trying to absolve these young men of anything they may have engaged in all those years ago, and even perhaps prior to all those years ago, because at 18 years of age, you know, you get tried as adults in courts of law, et cetera, et cetera. You are an adult in the eyes of the law. But we have to remember, I think, like if you make it even to the Ontario Hockey League level, you have achieved, you you are a, a very successful hockey player 
in your age group, which means all along the way, you've been demonstrating some above average hockey skill. And, and what happens when you are like that? Because we know that this league is one step away from the big tent in the National Hockey League. So how much special treatment do you get all the way along the path in order to try and help you reach your full potential, achieve that goal of making it to the National Hockey League and the millions and millions of dollars that may come with that. When you are a young person, man or woman, and you are being treated in this manner, boy, oh boy, it's got to be pretty hard to keep your head on straight. And this, again, is where some of the adults in the room along the way can be very aware of the impact of their actions, the special treatment that they give, and maybe give a little bit less of it so you can help these young people keep those heads on straight as they grow. Yeah, it's absolutely true. I, in some ways, I almost feel sorry for some of these elite athletes in all sports in that regard, that they're not being given those tools, that development that they deserve as young forming brains because there's a hierarchy in all these organizations based around how good you are at that sport. And it's just how it organically happens because that's who the adults worship. And when the adults worship them, that's who the peers worship. And it doesn't really matter how you treat other people sometimes. Oh, that guy's really fast. He's got an awesome shot, that kind of stuff. But I think back now with the benefit of hindsight, Mike, to all the teams I've played on over the years and some of the nicest kids I've ever played with, the best human beings I've ever played with, forgotten, barely noticed because they weren't as good as others at that sport. And sometimes I'm just, what I'm getting at, I don't want to get into a whole deep philosophy here, but uh, if we start holding those people up as the examples in life, rather than what they can do at, what they can do at hockey is a bonus. If these kids end up being great at hockey, great. But let's hold up those other things, how they treat each other, how they uh, deal with, with life uh, from a human level. Because that's really what, at the end of the day, matters. And if we don't give those people those skills as they grow up, frankly, some of them can turn into monsters as young adults. I think that's a really good point, and you state it so well. I won't even try to add anything else to it. And also say, again, I'm not going to try to be an expert. I'm not going to claim to be an expert. But we do recognize that there are problems within the culture of the game of hockey and maybe sport more generally. But there seems to be something specific in the culture of hockey that needs to be rooted out. And this is one small part of it. And what you just said, Dan, I think sums it up very well. Let's hold up as the ideal the players that come through this game as really good humans, hockey acumen aside. Okay, something else on the ice this week, and a shout out to our buddy Don from Sudbury, who uh, sent an email wondering if we could comment on this in Don's word, uh, in Don's words, pardon me, scary incident. By the way, Don, thanks for the email to ohlpodcast at rogers.com. Use it anytime. We're always happy to hear from you regarding anything that you hear on this podcast or something you'd like to hear discussed a little further. The incident that Dawn is talking about is a fight between Matthew Anania of the Sudbury Wolves and Ty Nelson of the North Bay Battalion. And this one does not end well at all for Ty Nelson. When I watched the video as I was traveling in the OHL this weekend, I gasped out loud because Ty Nelson falls to the ice and hits his head such that when he tries to stand up, he's got the old Bambi legs going. And we all know what that means. That's what made me gasp. That's what Don says. 
via email is a scary incident. Dan, how do we begin to respond to this? Well, I mean, first and foremost, there's a few things at play when you watch this video. It's easy enough to happen. Uh, and for those younger listeners, viewers who might not be familiar with the story of Bill Masterson, got to reference that here. Uh, former NHL player in Minnesota, who a trophy is now named after for the NHLer who demonstrates perseverance in their career, died when his head hit the ice in a practice. Just came came down. It can happen. It does. People say, "Ah, oh, what's the worst that can happen? A concussion?" No, it it could be a serious thing. So when we bring it back to this Ty Nelson incident. What troubled me, Mike, was the amount of time his helmet was off in that tussle with no interference from any of the officials. Uh, no one came to their senses there and said, yo, whoa, 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 this this could be a bad scene here. And sure enough, a couple seconds later, and the only thing separating what happened on the ice there versus something much more serious is honestly just luck. So I think the league's going to have to take a, a clear look at this, uh, Mike, and just say, you know, the second those helmets come off, uh, really serious about continuing to throw punches by either player. Really serious about, okay, officials get in there. Uh, I've, I saw a video earlier this, this year, Mike, of an official, and I can't remember the incident, but it was beautiful. The, the uh, linesman was uh, a foot or two away, like he should be. As the player started to fall, dove right in and cradled the head. And it was yeoman's work by that official. I'm not saying that's always going to be uh, able to happen, but when you see that helmet come off, Something's got to happen there, and I think this is a, a learning opportunity for the league. Yeah, that's a interesting point because I want to look at this. Like, I I get it, and when you're watching the video, especially after you've watched it once and you know what the outcome is, then you watch it that second time and you realize how much time there was with Ty Nelson being bucketless. He didn't have the helmet on, and then the worst results of it. I mean, fortunately, he got up, not the Masterson situation where he tragically dies, but we have this situation where Ty Nelson was clearly injured on the play and, and pretty severely. You don't get the Bambi legs for nothing. So you watch it again, you're like, oh man, there's so much time that somebody could have stepped in here. I want to look at this though, Dan, from the perspective of the official. And we, we want to assign some blame here and I get that. And I'm sure the Ontario Hockey League will have conversations about this and review this. But when I look at this through the eyes of the referee, and I'll remind you this was a referee, right? We usually see the lines people breaking up the fights because that's their role on the ice. And this was one of those sort of line scrums where the linesmen at the time were busy. So it's a referee watching over two players who were about to start engaging in fisticuffs and we all know how tough Ty Nelson is and Matthew Anania is no slouch and these are two powerful young men that are ready to start slugging it out so if you're the referee I think kind of think of this as uh, an airline flight being in jeopardy what's the first thing that you do when that oxygen mask comes down you get it over your own face so you're capable of helping somebody else this official has got to be asking himself what danger am I putting myself in at what time of what's either happening or about to happen? And as he's processing that, then these guys engage and the worst is the outcome for Ty Nelson. If they're up against the boards and this official can kind of pin them or hug them, that's one thing. But we just saw, and we talked about this 
an awful lot on the podcast last week, Dan, after that gong show that happened on a Saturday afternoon in London between the Knights and the Rangers. And I remember the place so well because it was at my side of the ice. I was calling that game and it was similar situation with all of the players on the ice at the time involved in something. The linesmen are between a London player and a Ranger player. And the London player was not, was not acknowledging that there was a, a striped Jersey in front of him still wanted to throw a punch and ended up basically hitting the linesman who, who shrugged it off pretty well. But I thought, Oh my gosh. And that's where the emotions at. So if, if you're this referee and, and you can't pin these guys against the boards and there's nobody else around to help you out, what danger are you putting yourself in when these guys want to start throwing bombs? I, it's, it's really tough. I, I agree with your point on this for sure that when the helmets came off and you knew something really bad could happen, you absolutely want to see the intervention that could prevent the terrible outcome that we saw. I'm just thinking of it from the other perspective. And when you think of the situation that referee found himself in, what might have happened to him? And then we can get it. You want to get into the moral debate of who's, you know, who getting injured is the worst case scenario here, a referee or a player. But I found it to be a really, really tough spot for that referee to be in. Oh, for sure it is. And you talk to any official, Mike, and they pride themselves on that's the job they signed up for. You're every now and then you might take a punch, shrug it off. It's the heat of the battle. And and any pugilist also will tell you, anyone who's ever been in these things talks about, well, you know, in the fog of war and the heat of the moment, you get tunnel vision on your opponent. You're not really paying attention to what's going around. You're you're worried about getting the next punch yourself. So you're throwing. All those things are, are, are factors here, which makes it a little more complicated than just guys stop as soon as the helmet comes off. But clearly, I think one of the ways to do so when the official's right there using the whistle or his words or whatever he can to say, OK, enough, enough, helmet's off. Once he starts saying those things, second more punches start getting thrown, then the league just has to deal with those pretty pretty severely. You know, those, those become suspensions. Those become game misconducts. However you want to deal with it, but it's got to be kind of zero tolerance there, Mike, because like we've talked from the beginning, when you have teenagers uh, putting themselves in that position, you got to have some pretty uh, set guidelines around how to protect them. You realize what we're talking about here, though, comes back to the existential debate in hockey. We already touched on one of the big ones with the culture of the game and how it needs to change. What we're really getting into now is whether or not we allow these sorts of activities to continue to occur in the game of hockey. And by these sorts of activities, I mean fighting at all. And I still remain somebody, and you can call me a Neanderthal if you want to, but somebody that enjoys a little bit of the players policing themselves and having this element of the game remain intact. But if, again, looking at this through the eyes of the referee, one player gets kind of tied up or you try to remove him from the situation, what's stopping the other player? And again, I'll reference that gong show of a game not two weeks ago in this league where the the different color of the referee's jersey, those black and white stripes, didn't do anything to deter the player that still wanted to punch. So you might be putting another player in more trouble. And sure, you can talk all you want about going after that through supplemental discipline, but in the moment, you might be putting a player in this league in a vulnerable position because you're tying up one guy, leaving the other guy still able to throw those punches. So I'll just bring it back full circle. Are we talking about another situation that makes us uncomfortable that fighting is left in the game at all? Because as long as you're going to allow it, it's possible that these sorts of things happen. 
Yeah, and I think you just you just really hit the nail on the head there is why these officials get in these circumstances every now and then where they do take a punch. Because that is something we accept right now. Should we? I mean, I'm not necessarily the one to answer that. I I can go either way on that debate. You know, Mike, you and I have had that. I think I think when we talk about the fighting in the game, you've got a whole camp that says it's part of the game. It's part of what makes hockey special. You need that intensity. Players are going to take liberties if they don't have to answer the bell. Yada, yada, yada. You hear all that argument. And then the other side... Why are we allowing bare knuckle fighting in a sport? Why it's the only sport that does, et cetera, et cetera. So we've heard all the arguments on both sides. But I think the one thing most people are in agreement, Mike, I'm hearing time and time again, that no one has time for the stage fighting between two goons. That's just pointless, delays the game. Nobody likes to see uh, a fighter teeing off on a non-fighter, the, the bullying type scenarios. Once you start removing all the categories, everybody agrees, categories of fighting, everybody agrees are not what we want. You get down to a pretty narrow window of fights you allow. Those like, Two willing combatants just taking out their frustrations in the heat of a battle because of, you know, there's a big hit or something. So, so it gets to be pretty narrow. Um, so you, you, you start to split hairs at some point, Mike, but I think you're right. If you're going to allow it, period, you're by extension allowing some of these incidents to occur over the course of a season. What we know for sure is that Ty Nelson was badly hurt. We don't want to see that happen to any player at all. So, Obviously, our best wishes, along with everybody else's, goes Ty Nelson's way. And this just pops into my head, Dan, something that we didn't discuss that we would discuss, but I think it's worth throwing in because, again, if this happens to any player, it's awful. We don't want to see it. Ty Nelson's a star player in this league. There is no denying that. And so it makes me think of Bryce McConnell Barker, who just came back this weekend. And I'll tell you what, I got to watch him in his first game back. I I think that the Sioux St. Marie Greyhounds did a pretty nice job in working their captain back. There was a lot of questions being asked around, like, why is it taking so long? December the 10th, uh, Bryce McConnell Barker was injured in a game versus the London Knights. It certainly appeared that it would have been a concussion that he was dealing with. Missed 14 games, but those 14 games uh, included the Christmas break. So you'd probably get three or four more games in during the time that players were off so you're talking maybe a 17 18 game absence for a star player and a national hockey league prospect with the new york rangers away from action about six weeks total looked real good when i saw him on friday night scored uh on sunday so right back doing what we want to see star players doing in this league dan right and and any sports league right you want to see the star players on the ice doing the things that fans pay to see that's what it's all about hundred percent. That's one of the things, the hobby horses I'm on all the time is fans pay to see the good players play. We don't want them taken out by lesser players or whatever the case may be. We don't want to see them injured, period. We don't want to see them off the ice. And credit to Sue to Sue for A, taking their time with that because you you have to with a head injury. You make sure it's your, it's your captain, it's your best player. But also for putting themselves in a position where they could afford to miss him for 14 games and not really slide down the standings. That's impressive in its own right. Um, but yeah, the bottom line is uh, great to see Bryce McConnell Barker back on the ice. That was six weeks we didn't need to go without him on the ice. So I think the fewer of these incidents, the better. Um, but great that he's back in fine form and kudos to the Sioux for how they handled that. Speaking of things that we're seeing, both Dan and I have our eyes on a different team in the Eastern Conference that's caught our attention of late. We'll talk about those teams and maybe some of the players on them also a long winning streak ends in the Ontario Hockey League this past weekend, but another one seems to be, and I mean, it's already pretty long, 
who knows how long it'll go. So another streak is beginning. And of course, our prospects of the week still to come on this episode of the OHL podcast. Dan, the London Knights got as far as 14. Touched on it last week. The CHL record for consecutive victories is 25. The London Knights finish off with 14 straight wins. And then, curiously enough, a loss to their OHL championship rival from a season ago, the Peterborough Peets, who are not the same Peterborough Peets. Uh, That was a shootout loss. And a young goaltender picks up his first win standing on his head. It was kind of cool to see except if you're a London fan I don't mean to rub anything in but you like the story I think a lot of people like stories like that and then uh, a a loss to the Erie Otters on Star Wars night a sold out game at the Erie Insurance Arena which you also love to see not not the loss for one of the teams but just a sold out crowd on a Saturday in the Ontario Hockey League I think is a great thing so while the 14 game streak for London comes to an end don't look now but the Saginaw Spirit are halfway to such a streak with seven consecutive wins. Yeah, well, Mike, there's really two reasons why streaks never last that long. They don't seem to ever last that long. And these things are anomalous because one, when you are streaking like that, you've got your, your everyone's rowing the same direction. Everyone's bringing their A game. The longer that goes, the harder it is to convince them every night. Yeah, you got to go that extra mile because it's easy to take your foot off the gas when you feel like you've been leading the race for a long time. And then the second one is people are gunning for you. And it doesn't matter who you are in this league. I mean, the Peterborough Peets we can laugh about because they've struggled since moving some players. But there are no bad teams in this league. There are teams that will get you on any given night if you don't bring it. And when you see a team, when you're coming up against a team where nobody's giving you a chance, they're expecting an 8-1 game, they're on a 14-game winning streak, you are fired up for that one. Probably more so than any game Peterborough has been fired up for since the trade deadline. So it can happen. Uh, and there's no there's no easy touch in this league, and I think that's almost how I expected it to end, Mike, on one of these lesser teams. The Peets had lost nine games in a row going into that one as well. So I think that's a good point. And if we take it just half a step further, you know, when you're on a streak like that, everybody's gunning for you. A week ago on this podcast, we were talking about, well, I guess it would have been two weeks back. We're talking about the big first place showdown that's coming up between Kitchener and London. The Kitchener Rangers had essentially been in first place since the beginning of the season at the end of September. So give them three months and a bit in first place. And all of a sudden you're talking about the Kitchener Rangers being a fourth place team. That's what four losses and a middling record since the Christmas break will do to you. Yeah. And you know what? So despite that, four game losing streak it's the the funny part is when you look at the ohl standings kitchener is still one of four teams that have a winning percentage better than anyone in the east so that just tells you what you're up against in the west as always i mean let's talk about rinse and repeat right that conference always has powerhouses and here we are again uh four of them running almost 700 above winning percentages which is just incredible so again not a lot of easy nights the 14 game winning streak snapped for those nights don't think that anything is over any level of dominance or supremacy has gone out the window. London will continue to London down the stretch, even in the losses, they picked up points both times. However, the Saginaw spirit have already wrestled first place away 
from the London Knights and now sitting at the top of the conference where I think we all expected them to be from the beginning. Slow start for the Spirit. They now have a roster, and we talked about this in our trade deadline special, that's been turned over by half. There are 10 new faces on the Saginaw Spirit roster. A lot that Chris Lazary, the head coach, has to deal with, but having watched them in person on the weekend, you can just see, I mean, <laughs> no word of a lie. I wrote out my lines prior to the game as I was getting ready to do the broadcast. And I looked over at my broadcast partner and I said, holy bleep. Like it's scary from the first trio of forwards to the fourth trio of forwards. When Ethan Hay is your fourth line center, you have got some kind of depth on your roster. And the spirit showed that the Kitchener Rangers had some pluck in their game that Saturday night in Saginaw. But once the spirit got rolling, there was really no stopping the express. So seven straight wins now, as I already mentioned for Saginaw, first place in the Western Conference. But let's peel one more layer off that onion, Dan. Go beyond the seven games in a row and talk about 16 wins in their past 19 games. So this Saginaw team has turned into the kind of buzzsaw we all expected it to be from day one. And I just want to add this in there if I can. I might take some heat for this in Saginaw. However, I said that this team had the potential to be a 50-win team this season. Now, I think based on your point a moment ago with the winning percentages we're seeing, especially in the West, there are a few teams that might be 50-win teams, but the Saginaw Spirit sitting right now at 32-12-0-1 with 23 games to go. If they're 16-3 and in their past 19 games, is it reasonable to think they could go 18-5 and over their final 23, which would take them to 50 wins on the season? I say, sir, yes, that is absolutely possible, if not pushing probable by the team that has Ethan Hay as a fourth line center. <laughs> yeah, well, a couple things I want to touch on there, Mike. First and foremost is when you talk about teams that have the potential to rattle off 50 wins like that, you're looking for the teams that have depth. Casual observers of, of junior leagues and even of the NHL tend to look at teams that have the high-end star power, right? They have the Austin Matthews. They have the uh, Carson Rakoff. They have, you name it, these guys that are at the top of the lineup and they evaluate teams based on those players. But it's the teams that have that depth throughout. And I think the one there's a couple things that pop to mind when I watch the Saginaw Spirit. One, you watch them, like you said, it's like you see this wave after wave of, of high-end players coming at you. And then you're like, oh, there's Dean Locus. I forgot he was still on this. You, you, you see all this, this phenomenal depth. But what I really appreciate about that team was how they were built. They were built with a plan. So they were built with, what do we need? What are we going to address? And we talked about this earlier. They talked about complete players, 200-foot guys. And one of the big ones was face-off prowess. And you talk about Ethan Hay on the fourth line. Well, it's up and down that lineup. They're winning draws. And when they target no one back, it's not just, oh, you played for Team Canada. There's a player we should have. It's there's a player that wins his face-offs, 200-foot player, all in the same mold. So you can have different guys having nights off and still go because you've got possession of the puck. You've got third and fourth lines that can carry on a given night. Uh, so it's quite conceivable a team like that wins 50, Mike, because of that dynamic. So people may look at that lineup and say, oh, yeah, that guy's pretty good. That guy's pretty good. I'm not seeing a 130-point player 
that doesn't matter. It's it's they had a plan for the type of player they wanted. And they're the types of players that win hockey games, especially at the key times of year. So I can see it in Saginaw for sure. I want to just add a quick piece to this too that just popped into my head. Uh, I had the chance while I was there in Saginaw to speak with Craig Gosselin, who's managing partner and president of the Spirit. Of course, Saginaw is where the Memorial Cup is going to be hosted this season. And Bob, uh, I, I'm sure his last name started with a W. I feel really bad, but thank you for listening to the podcast. He stopped me in the concourse uh, on Saturday night when I was there and said how much he enjoys this podcast. So, Bob, you're you're a great gentleman. Thank you for that. Thanks to everybody who takes time out of their day to listen to this. Uh, but in speaking with Craig, obviously they're they're very excited that the Memorial Cup. I mean, the calendar turn has turned now, right? We're into 2024. We're almost into February, but we're what four months away from that tournament, the Canadian National Junior Hockey Championship, invading the United States and Saginaw, Michigan. They're working their tails off there. And Craig said to me, "This is going to be." The, the freshest and nicest looking 50 year old arena you're ever going to find. The Dow is a little bit tired looking at the architecture of the time, but they've really done a nice job with the upgrades. And I think you'll enjoy it there. The suites look great. I got into the uh, updated visitors dressing room, which looks great. Again, they're, they're busting their humps. I think you could do a whole heck of a lot worse. And I've had people, I don't know about you, Dan, but people asking me here in Kitchener, in my part of Southern Ontario, hey, what's it like in Saginaw? Is it worth going down for the Memorial Cup? It's a beautiful part of Michigan. It really is. You're going to be treated to, to great hockey. We know that. If you like hockey at this level, you're going to see it at its best. I mean, besides the World Juniors, I don't know how much better you get than the Memorial Cup tournament. And you could do a lot worse things with some time in late May than from Southern Ontario. You're talking even with the border crossing included, maybe four hours to get you door to door. It doesn't get this close this often. So enjoy it if you can. They're doing great work. I just want to give them a quick shout out for that. Yeah. And you're right. And like, you know, uh, with a lot of the American highways, pretty easy sailing too, when you uh, go. So it's a, it's a relatively pain-free drive. If you're looking to check it out and, and I heard good things about the media room there too, Mike. So oh, lots going on well there. <laughs> don't make me go down that road. People are going to look at me and talk about my privilege and all of this stuff. But holy Hannah, they got some Jets pizza in that part of the world that you will never regret eating. I promise. And so many other things. One of these days. And if you're ever interested, you just let me know and I'll stop it right here. But send me an email, ohlpodcast at rogers.com. I will give you the definitive ranking of media rooms in the Ontario Hockey League, okay? Because if you haven't seen me in a while, there's about two or three of me from my early days in this league, and it's all Saginaw's fault. Coconut cream pie, Dad. I was eating pie before the game. If you wondered why my broadcast sucked on Saturday nights, because I was in a food coma. Okay, let's get on to the... Uh, I'm serious, though. I'll give you that ranking. OHL podcast, rogers.com. Uh, let's get on to the Eastern Conference. And I found this interesting when we were exchanging notes before this episode. We both had a different Eastern Conference team. I'll put my Eastern Conference team against your Eastern Conference team. But you wanted to talk about the Sudbury Wolves, a team that you think is kind of rounding into form in the East. Yeah, well, I, I mean, I, I, it's three games in a row, so we're not talking 14. But I, I really wanted to highlight the fact that they had a, a home and home, a statement series, much like we talked about London and Kitchener. Same thing in the East with Sudbury and North Bay. And that really could have gone either way. 
North Bay have been playing extremely well lately. Had a, a brief stint on top of the conference very recently. War, huge war there. You expect probably a split. Sudbury comes out with both. Uh, they were hammers and nails all through the, both games. Brought the offense, defense, toughness, kind of what they envisioned when they were building this team. And I think it's a statement when you have the head-to-head -head against top rival right down the road and you come out with both wins. So, I mean, even that mangy thing in the rafters was looking like it was up for the series. So so I just want to shout out Sudbury. I don't know if this is uh, uh, turning the corner, but it certainly looked to me like it might be. I agree that the back-to-back -back wins over North Bay, the ultimate Highway 17 rival, is terrific and that really does bode well eight and three over their past 11 now are the wolves interestingly while that wasn't the team that's really captured my attention in the east there is a player on that Sudbury wolves team that i wanted to acknowledge this week and that of course i know i'm sure nobody is surprised by this but david goyette he's liking life since christmas 12 goals nine assists in his 13 games since the Christmas break, he's now second in league scoring with 70 points. Anthony Romani leads the way at 73. And how about Hunter Brustevich, who was, I mean, he's not out of it by any stretch, 69 points, so only four behind the leader, Romani. Brustevich was looking at, and, and still could be, the first defenseman to lead this league in scoring since Brian Fogarty. I think it's a bit of a long shot. But nonetheless, Goyette, thanks to those 21 points, 12 of them goals, in the 13 games since Christmas has really climbed up those standings into second place. He's sixth in the league in goals now at 28. And on that score, speaking of scoring, how quickly the tides can change. We talked about the Kitchener Rangers and going in a bit of a 500 hockey run since the Christmas break, losing four in a row. And all of a sudden from first place, you're down to fourth. Carson Rakoff of the Kitchener Rangers has not scored in six games and all of a sudden this guy who looked like a lock for 50 might have been 50 and 50 the way he was going and had been light years ahead of the others well with Rakoff in a six-game scoreless drought hello Anthony Romani with 38 goals your new OHL leader how do you like that yeah I, I don't know but just quickly on the on the Rakoff just just Punch. I know he took a, a big knock in that Sudbury game on the road trip recently, missed the next game. Doesn't quite look right to me right now. And I, I don't know if he's dealing with something uh, on the health side. But yeah, I think I think this is the time of year when you have guys with little nicks and bruises. Uh, it's tough because the competition has ramped up now and it will just continue to do so through the rest of the year. And those who are healthy, those who are rolling are, are going to they're going to toggle back and forth at the top of those standings and show us how quickly it can go. Cause you're right. There was a time when it looked like Rakoff might run away with this thing. Should be really interesting. And I hope that there's some motivation for the teams or for the players that were in one place and they're now in a different place. And we'll see what this looks like down the stretch, but we've been seeing some really impressive play and it's not lost on me that we're talking about a guy in Anthony, Anthony Romani in the Eastern conference leading the way points wise Goyette being on a pretty nice run since Christmas, usually and I'm not discounting any of the guys in the West, but usually we're talking about the firepower being in the Western Conference. It's going to be fun to watch in the last third or so of this season. Okay, you wanted to touch on Sudbury. I want to give it to these Brantford Bulldogs, Dan. I, I don't know. I look back over a couple of months now, since December the 1st, and the Bulldogs are 12-9. and 9. 
Okay. Uh, so what's a 12 and nine? Like you're a few games above 500, right? But that does include a six game winning streak, which included victories over Oshawa, which we know is improving. Mississauga, which we know is a good team. Windsor, who's getting, he's, who's only been getting better since November, really. And then the Kingston Frontenacs, who have also been playing some good hockey. So you reel off six in a row, which is no easy thing. Despite 12 and nine, maybe not leaping off the page at you record-wise, four of Brantford's losses in extra time. And we all know it's a pretty narrow margin. You either have the shot that wins it or you have the shot taken against you that wins it. So points in 16 of 21 games running in first place. And I remember looking at this team, Dan, coming out of Christmas. And I think mainly because of games played and that little six game heater they got on, jumped up into first place for a moment. I thought, oh, isn't that nice? The Brantford Bulldogs, you know, announcing their arrival ahead of schedule. But they're not going away. And so, again, I'll use the peel back another layer off this onion. I like the way this team is built, even even now, right? They still play that heavy game that we both like so much. They've got, I mean, not Saginaw depth, but you can see the the raw material here that is already being molded into something pretty formidable. And... I don't know. I, I was all over the Oshawa Generals last week, reminding you not to sleep on them. You talked about Sudbury. North Bay's right in the mix. Interesting to see what happens with the loss of Ty Nelson. You never write off Ottawa. Kingston's playing better. I could go on and on. But am I going to be surprised if, come late March, the Brantford Bulldogs are still at the top of the Eastern Conference? No, I'm not, I tell you. No, I'm not. Well, you know, uh, I can't remember who it was, but a wise coach you used to say that hockey is just a series of one-on-one battles and when i watch the brand for bulldogs probably more than any other team in this league that's their philosophy on the game is win your one-on-one battles get to the net those players constantly get to the net uh, i'm not sure you'll see a player drive the net better than than merrick van acker who's playing phenomenal hockey right now uh, they on the boards get there first leverage your body win that puck because once you win those one-on-one battles you open up the ice for yourselves and i think Brantford makes you earn every inch of ice and they're going to be a tough out. We said this from day one, they're going to be a tough out no matter who they play because of that style of play. And, and, you know, you talk about their recent run where they're, they're currently sitting top points percentage in the East uh, dropped one recently to Mississauga, but also playing without your boy, Nick Lardis playing without Patrick Thomas. Those are a couple pretty high end players in the lineup that they're missing still in that fight. And that game against Mississauga is probably the goaltending uh factor that that lost that one for them. He had to run into a really hot leanders and and didn't get a lot of saves uh the other way. But they compete, they compete every night. And when you can take two big pieces out of the lineup like that and still fight, that's pretty impressive. So I'm not sure I'm draw I'm too stoked about drawing the Brantford Bulldogs if I get to the playoffs. You could do a lot worse than a game at the uh, Brantford Civic Center as well. It's a great atmosphere. Good luck getting a ticket sometimes because it's the smallest building in the league. I actually just heard Brantford's mayor, uh, uh, Kevin Davis, I think it is. Forgive me, Mayor Davis. I'm pretty sure I got the Davis part right. I just just today on the radio, I heard him in an interview uh, talking about the proposal for a new sports and entertainment venue in Brantford, which they would intend to build in the same spot that the Civic Center is now. Uh, things are just looking up, up and up for a long future for the Ontario Hockey League in the city of Brantford. The Alexanders are back, baby. And this Bulldogs team that they call them today, 
uh, is a pretty formidable foe. Okay, that's one too many formidables in one episode. I don't using it once is fine, Farwell. Using it twice, I think you're a little offside. Let's get to our uh, prospects of the week, Dansky. Who you got this week? I, I didn't go too uh, too wild this week, Mike. I just I, I I figured it couldn't be anyone other than Liam Greentree. Uh, we know where he's been ranked a lot of the year, playing on that winter team that struggled for the first half. Put up six points against the Peets this week. Threw another assist on the weekend as well. That's that's a seventeen year old kid who's ascending the draft charts. I mean, we we expected coming into the season he was going to fall somewhere between twenty five and forty, probably in the NHL draft. Now I, I'm actually hearing whispers that teams are looking at him in the top 10 or not far out of the top 10. So this is what he's doing for himself this year. And when you, you, you know, in the OHL, when you have any game where you put up three goals and three assists, I'm going to give you my prospect of the week. So I, I hope I didn't steal a mic, but I, I, I didn't need to look too far this week. Who you got? I love it. And I'll tell you why I love it because of what you've just explained. Look, it's been a really rough year for the Windsor Spitfires, but we talked about them last week and how things have Turned around, and and I boldly predicted, and thanks Flint Firebirds for dousing that with some cold water, but I said that Windsor, was that was one of my bold predictions I unexpectedly made last week, would make the playoffs, and I thought Flint would fall. Flint picks up a couple of big wins this weekend to keep a pretty nice cushion there points-wise, but we'll see. My point in all of this, I really do like the story, Dan, to see a kid on a struggling team, as the team finds itself, the kid finds his game, and is absolutely deserving of this I, i'm reminded of of my friend jeff merrick who does the 32 thoughts podcast with elliot friedman and merrick is fond of saying that he cares less about the game and more about the story and when i first heard him say that i like i just haven't forgotten it and i'll, and I'll go back to something i said earlier in this episode talking about the the losses for the london knights there were two really good stories there in the goaltender who makes 46 saves in london of all places in his first to get his first OHL win for Peterborough. And then the next night when the Erie Otters beat London, it's a sold out crowd at the Erie insurance arena, which you just, you just love for the league. It's a great story. In fact, yeah, boy, is this going on a tangent or what? Jim Waters, the owner of the Erie Otters, they posted a video on their social media the next day of Jim standing there full on Otters gear, thanking the fans for making it such a great atmosphere the night before how great is that as an owner and then of course they had picked up the win when everybody was feeling good i mean anyway i love those those little stories outside of you know who won who lost those were some pretty cool stories the liam green tree one is a great story what we like what i like to do certainly on this podcast is be a little bit different green tree was too easy deserving for sure dan gave him a nod the ontario hockey league gave him a nod hey you know, slow your roll there, Liam Greentree. You're not going to get across the board. No unanimity here. I like to be a little bit different. You mentioned this guy's name before, Dan, Merrick Van Acker. I'm I'm big on the Brantford Bulldogs this week. The kid's got seven goals and two assists in his past five games. You stretch it out even further. He's on a 10-game heater right now, 11 goals, seven assists in his past 10 games. I know I'm going beyond just one week here, but... It's been consistent now for three weeks. Merrick Van Acker is my prospect of the week. Yeah, you know what I love about him the most, Mike, is the pro projectability. If you if you look at pro traits, you look at some of these players in the OHL and you say, uh, he looks really good here. Is it going to project to the pro? And not to pick on David Goyette, but that's been one of the criticisms of him. I'm not sure it translates to the NHL. 
Merrick Van Acker translates the NHL all over for me in my viewings. I mean, he plays like a freight train game with some good hands, good skill, a great compete level. So uh, when I watch that kid, I just say, you're going to see him in the NHL someday for sure. It is a fun time to be following this league. We're getting into the most meaningful games, the the playoffs as we turn our calendar this week to February, month and a half, seven or so weeks away. Great time to be following this league. Hope you're enjoying it wherever you are. And thank you again for joining us here. Remember, send an email anytime, ohlpodcast at rogers.com. Find Dan on Twitter slash X at Dan Mahar. I'm at Farwell underscore OHL. And give us a like, subscribe to the podcast, the YouTube channel, tell a friend. Have I covered all the bases, Dan? Have, is your mother listening to this podcast yet? I know she listened to our last one, so that's a yes. win for me. <laughs> I don't think my mother knows what a podcast is. Bless her heart. But we've got one of our parents involved in this. Uh, thanks for listening. We'll be back in a week on the OHL podcast. I'm Matt Kundle, host of the Sound Off podcast, the show about podcast and broadcast. Since 2016, we've been speaking with amazing people who have populated your ears for decades. Legendary broadcasters, research wizards, talent experts, podcasters, voice talent. Almost 400 stories, all for free. Subscribe or follow the Sound Off podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, or at soundoffpodcast.com. Another Sound Off Media Company podcast.